So good to be in God's house today. I don't know if you lost your voice yet, yet. When that groan comes, something happens in the spirit realm. God is shifting some things. I pray that you feel the shift in your life. That you sense what God is doing in you, through you, around you. Come on. What an awesome God he is. It's so good to be in his house today. Look at your neighbor and say, you're looking fine. Tell your other neighbor how much better looking they are than the other one. The glow of the Holy Spirit makes you beautiful. When God's all over you, you rock. Amen. Well, if you drift a Tesla, is it called an electric slide? Someone said, I recently attended a magic show in Mexico. The magician said, uno, dos, and then vanished without a trace. (laughs) Thank you, Drew. You know, I don't drink 2% milk anymore. Who knows what's in the other 97%. You know, they say 87% of of people are good at math. Obviously, I'm in the other 22%. (laughs) Hey, we're just uh, thrilled to be in the middle of what God's doing. And I'm glad you're here and getting involved. I can't wait for Connect. Okay, it's coming. Get ready. And God's going to do some amazing things in and through you. The power place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily. It's, it's those daily encounters that, that will absolutely be the key to your continued growth in the Lord. Without a daily encounter with him, you're going to get weak. You're not going to find yourself at your best, and at your peak. And God wants to fill you up every single day. Every day is an invitation to come and spend time in his presence. So we find ourselves moving daily into his presence, and there's nothing quite like that. You heard the core value of the week. This week is obedience. We say obedience is the key to life. We live by the nudge of the Holy Spirit and by the power of God's word. As he leads, we follow. And as we follow his nudge, we enter the realm of supernatural miracles, supernatural suddenlies, supernatural encounters that that really leave us breathless. How many have been there? As you obey him, it's like, I had no idea that this was on the other side of my obedience. And it, it boggles your mind. It leaves you breathless. And as Pastor Luke so eloquently shared last week, 
Slaying the giant of addiction requires full obedience. What a powerful word that was, Pastor Luke, last week. Uh, He said, don't shush the Holy Spirit. When you feel that nudge, your first response should be, yes, okay. Not, shh, I don't want to hear that. Because as you shush him, he gets quiet. You don't want him quiet in your life. You want the Holy Spirit loud and clear. Though he speaks in a still small voice, though he's always a gentleman, though he will never force himself on you, you want him to constantly, hey, hey, excuse me, hello. So don't develop a pattern of disobedience. I'll just tell you, slaying any of the giants that we're dealing with will require full obedience to the nudge of the Holy Spirit and his word. That's how you win. These giants of mammon, of fear, addiction will die as we obey the Lord and his word. And you've got to partner with God every single day. Every single day. Obedience is the key to life. Every single day. Not just when you feel like it. Not just when it's convenient. Every single moment of every single day. Today I want to talk about destroying the giant of shame and guilt. Destroying the giant of shame and guilt. Many of us are burdened down by things in our past, even yesterday things, that they've poisoned our joy, they've destroyed our confidence, and they've diluted our effectiveness. They've poisoned our joy, they've destroyed our confidence, and they've diluted our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And the enemy of your soul loves that. It's one of his greatest joys is to get you filled with shame so that you sideline yourself. People have a joy with that as well. Some people will continually remind you of your failures, even subtly. They'll just throw things out and and remind you that you're not all that in the bag of chips. Remember what you, remember how you, remember what you said. And it can really wear you down. It can play on your mind. You start to think, is that really what defines me? Is, is that what everyone sees in me? Will I ever be free from shame's grip? Ken uh, Shigematsu says, according to Genesis, Adam and Eve existed in the Garden of Eden naked and without shame. Then Satan enters the Garden of Eden and approaches Eve and Adam in the form of a serpent. When we hear the word serpent, we might imagine a hideous creature slithering on its belly. But according to some biblical scholars, before the serpent was cursed, it may well have been the most dazzlingly beautiful creature in the garden. 
And scripture tells us that Satan was once an angel of light, but one who apparently didn't feel like he was enough. So he aspired to be equal to God. And this one who feels like he's not enough approaches Adam and Eve and insinuates that they're not enough either. He whispers, you could be so much more if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You'll be just like God, knowing good from evil. You'll be fulfilled and free. The serpent suggests that by forbidding them to eat from the tree of knowledge and good of evil, God doesn't have their best interests at heart. And literally and figuratively, Adam and Eve bite. But do they become like God? Fulfilled, free, a better version of themselves? No, he says. Immediately they sense that something has been taken from them and they experience a feeling they've never known before. Shame. Somebody say shame. It's a powerful word. Their instinct is to hide. So they reach for fig leaves to cover themselves. Like Adam and Eve, shame makes us feel vulnerable and exposed. And so we avert our gaze, looking down and away, or curl in on ourselves, making ourselves small. When we feel this way, whether at a conscious or unconscious level, we frantically try to do something to cover ourselves so we don't have to feel the pain of our shame. Some of us may overwork as a way of covering our sense of deficiency. Some of us might use sports as a way to cover ourselves. Others might pursue knowledge and education as a kind of covering, a fig leaf to mask the nagging sense of not being enough. We can also become religiously compulsive and obsessively conscientious as a way of masking our feelings of not being enough. Or we might cultivate a sculpted body curate our image through social media or try to raise accomplished children to cover up our inner shame. All these psychological fig leaves of being more athletic or musical, smarter or better educated, thinner or beefier, higher on the ladder of our profession, amassing money or travel experiences or being morally upright may make us feel temporarily better but none of them will bring us the lasting, confident contentment we are seeking. Because shame and guilt is a very powerful force that the enemy of our souls uses against us. Sometimes daily, sometimes moment by moment. I want to show you a few things in Scripture today. The Apostle Peter denied that he knew Jesus. It was one of the biggest mistakes of his life. One of those moments that filled him with shame and guilt, and it overtook him. And so basically, he sat down and quit. So I'm done with this. And I want you to notice in Mark chapter 16 that Jesus himself sends Peter a personal invitation to come back. And I'm here to tell you today, no matter what you've done or where you've been, Jesus Christ himself sends you a personal invitation to come back in the fold. Come back to your calling. 
Come back to what I've designed you to be. Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the, in, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It was a personal invitation to Peter. He said, tell the disciples, tell the whole group, but I want you to make sure you tell Peter. Come on, somebody. You can put your name in there. Go ahead and tell Greg. I'm waiting for him. I've got a plan for his life. Tell Luke. Tell Carolyn. Tell Christy. Tell Devin. Tell them I'm waiting for them. They're going to find me again. Then, then Jesus shows up and cooks breakfast on the beach for the disciples. And it was early in the morning. Early in the morning, the sound of the rooster was crowing. And the sound of the rooster was ringing in Peter's ears. It was a reminder every day, every morning he heard the rooster crow. And that rooster would signal Way to go, Pete. Way to blow it. That's who you are. You are defined by your denial of Jesus. You are a loser. You couldn't even stand up to a little servant girl who asked you if you knew Jesus. Way to go, loser, Peter. Ah! 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 How do roosters crow? Somebody do better rooster than that. <laughs> Anybody got a rooster crow? You got, you got one. There it is. And every morning, Pete would hear it. And it was a reminder, constant reminder, daily, every single day. But Jesus shows up on the beach in the early morning, and every day there was a reminder of Peter's biggest mistake, and yet Jesus comes and redeems that reminding sound. John chapter 21, verse 1, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. You see, Simon was called to be a fisher of men. Jesus called him away to be a fisherman, to be a fisher of men. And Peter's like, I messed up. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to the mess of my life, what I used to be. 
And his friends said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Where did Jesus get the fish? I don't know. But he had some and some bread. And Jesus said to them, I love bread, by the way, in case you don't know. It, it may kill me, but I'm going to die happy. Hallelujah. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Who took the time to count the fish that day? Somebody did. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This, By the way, if Jesus feeds you bread, bread has to be good for you. Just saying. Just saying. Somebody come in my boat with me. <laughs> Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they were just finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, three times. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Peter had denied Jesus three times. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This is your calling. Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Shame 
wants to disqualify you. It wants to shut you up. Go home. Sit down. You're not worthy to work for Jesus. No one wants to hear your story. It's too shameful. But Jesus has other plans. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus has other plans. Jesus wants to qualify you. Jesus wants to qualify you, and he wants to use your shame story for his glory. Hallelujah. Peter, every day he heard the rooster crow. It was a daily reminder of his most shameful moment. But Jesus recalibrates that sound for him. He redeems it so that every time Peter hears it from now on, he remembers his calling. Follow me. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Follow me. You're called to use your moments of shame to bring freedom to others. Hmm. Don't shut up. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, don't shut up. Don't shut up. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't listen to shame's voice. Don't be quiet. You're called to use your moments of shame to bring freedom to somebody else. Don't quit. Get up. Get moving forward. Shameless. You need to realize this. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is from the devil. Someone has said, the enemy knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Forgiven child of God. The enemy will point at your sin daily, daily, daily and say, yeah, that's who you are. And you're going to look at him and go, nope, nope, nope. I'm a child of the living God. I'm a forgiven child of God. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called who he says I am. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I remind you, there's therefore now. There's therefore now. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's no condemnation when you stand before God in the future, but right now, there's no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation. Repeat that with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the word of the living God. As I was praying about this, I felt the Lord tell me to look at David and Goliath again. 
Thing's supposed to pop when I push it. There it is. So I began to look at David and Goliath. I began to see a lesson in shame management. I'd never seen this before. Well, I've seen bits and pieces, but something stood out to me like it was as if God showed neon lights on parts of David's story with Goliath. Check it out with me. 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, a camp between Soko and Judah and Ezekiel and Ephestimim. Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He had been pretty good in the NBA. <laughs> okay. Some, some scholars estimate he was between 9 and 13 feet tall. Needless to say, that's pretty massive. He wore a bronze helmet. And his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. How much do you put on in the morning, Paul? How, how much does your armor weigh? 28 pounds. This guy's carrying around 125 pounds, 125 pounds of this bronze coat of mail. He also wore bronze leg armor, which wasn't included in the weight. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. How many have ever gone bowling? You pick up the 15-pound ball, put that on the end of your spear or your sword. What is it? Spear. Yeah, spear. Spearhead. That's what it was, it was spearhead. Just seeing if you're listening. And that's what he carried around. They give us this picture because the writer wants you to understand how massive this guy is. He's not just a guy that has a big mouth. How many have ever met a guy with a big mouth? You know, they got the big talk. They got, but, but this guy is not just big mouthed. He's big. And he's massive. And he's taunting the Israelites. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken because they're thinking to themselves, we ain't got nobody who can handle that guy. He's massive. He's, he's scary looking. 
And now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimea, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along. Bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, heard out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. And David's ears perk up. Dude, I've seen his daughter. I'm in. No taxes? Are you kidding me? Uh... But even with those rewards, no one stepped up. No one said, I'll I'll take a shot at him. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? These men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. David was shamed by his brothers. Shame wants to shut you up and shut you down. Go home. Go home, Davey. You're not worthy. Who do you think you are anyway? You're just a pitiful little guy tending a few sheep. You are nothing. Go home. Go away. We're the fighting men. Go away. Shame. Shame on you for even showing up and asking questions. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. 
And he's been a man of war since his youth. Here David's ashamed by Saul. His brothers, now Saul, don't be ridiculous. Anybody but you. Look at you. You're only a little guy. You're only a boy. Who do you think you are even that you could think about fighting Goliath? But David persisted. Somebody say David persisted. Look at your neighbor. Tell him you got to persist. Keep persisting. Keep pushing on. Don't let shame shut you down. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I'm here to tell you today that you defeat the giant of shame by staying focused. Look at your neighbor and say, stay focused. Stay focused. Focus on what the Lord has done in you. Look at the Lord, focus on what the Lord has done through you. Focus on what the Lord has spoken over you. Focus on your past victories through his mighty power. Focus on the Lord and what he can do and has done. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. This giant will fall. Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. He's basically saying, David, what you have isn't enough. Here, let me help you. He's shaming him once again. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David. You come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Goliath shames David. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin." But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. 
as Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I'm here to tell you today, you defeat the giant of shame by moving forward in the power of his mighty strength. You got to keep moving forward. Shame wants you to take a few steps backwards. Shame wants you to keep, go hide yourself, get out of the line, go away. That's what the enemy wants to do to you. But you move forward in the power of God's mighty strength. Don't let shame cripple and paralyze you to the point of ineffectiveness. Never lose sight of your reason for living. Your God-given purpose keeps you shameless. You've got a purpose. And your God-given purpose keeps you shameless, unoffendable, laser-focused, unshakable, unshameable. You're not perfect, but you're being perfected daily in his presence. Not perfect yet, but I'm being perfected daily in his presence. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm being perfected daily in his presence. So David triumphed over the Philistine, verse 50, with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Goliath shamed David, but David used the weapon that Goliath shamed him with to cut off his head and win the victory. Ponder that for a moment. You can use what the enemy is shaming you with to turn it around, absolutely defeat him with it. How can I do that? You cut shame's head off by disarming its ability to harm you. Enemy, you meant to kill me with this. Enemy, you meant to destroy me. You meant to shut me up. You meant to push me to the back. But it's under the blood. It's under the blood of Jesus. Jesus, this is what Jesus died on the cross for. He took my shame. He took my guilt. He took my sin. And he set me free to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. Enemy, you're defeated. You're defeated by what you tried to shame me with. Hallelujah. And the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines. Those guys who were standing on the sidelines, afraid to get in the fight. All of a sudden, they've got courage. They come off the sidelines. 
They chased them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sherim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite armor returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. And the reality is the Lord wants to use your painful moments, your shameful moments, your troublesome moments to minister to someone else, help them walk out of their prison of shame. He used David to ignite freedom for God's army who had been daily shamed by Goliath every day into submission. God can use you too. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God's going to use what the enemy tried to kill you with. God's going to use what the enemy tried to kill you with. He's going to use it to cut his head off. He's going to be deheaded. Ah. I saw a diagram that said your past plus your passions plus your pain plus your gifts equals your purpose. Your past, your passions, the things that drive you, your pain, and your gifts bring about your purpose. God will never waste a thing in your story. So yeah, but that that was a nasty story. No, God wants to use it. He wants to redeem it. He wants to recalibrate it. He wants to be able to use it to free somebody else. He wants to use it so someone else can see how you walked away from shame and guilt and you found yourself in a place where you can stand free, free, living your best life, living out your purpose, living out your calling. God wants to use everything in your story, everything the enemy has tried to shame you with. He wants to use it for his glory. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father. Ooh. Somebody say merciful. He's a merciful Father. He's full of mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father, the God from whom all help comes. He helps us in all our troubles, so that we're able to help others who have all kinds of troubles using the same help that we ourselves have received from God. God wants to take your shame story and use it to bring him glory by setting someone else free with the same freedom that he gave you. Don't stay there. You can't stay there. You can't stay in shame's city. It'll paralyze you. It will stop you from your calling. God says, I want to minister to you so you can minister to somebody else who's been through the same junk you've been through. 
And you know what most of us do? We hide our story. Oh, I don't want anybody to think less of me. Are you kidding? We all got junk. Every single one of us. Billy Graham had junk. Because he was human. We're all human. God wants to take our story, our shame story, and turn it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know, somebody say we know, we know that in all things, somebody say all things, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We know that. That you got to get that deep down in your knower. God's going to use that thing that the enemy wants to shame you with. He's going to use that thing for his glory and for your good. If it's not good yet, he's still working. If it's not good yet, he's still working. Because he's going to work all things together for good. The good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's the end result. Somebody said justified. It, it means just as if I'd never sinned justified. I've been justified with Christ, just as if I'd never sinned. Somebody needs to write that down. You need to remind yourself that I, I'm just as if I'd never done that. I, I'm just as if, because in Christ I am justified. So only a few predestined said this before, but I'll say it again. God predestined us because he foreknew. I'll say it again. God's not going to be surprised who shows up in heaven. Oh, didn't know you were coming. Hold on. Let me get a mansion prepared for you. No, he's already at the end. He's above time and space. He's already there. He knows who's chosen. And because he knows that you're going to be there, he has predestined you to be. Predestined you to be. Predestined you to be. Called. Justified. Glorified. Child of the living God. That's who he calls you. You can stand secure in that. Ah, thank you, Lord. Take that shame. Amen. Some of you might say, this, this thing's too hard for me. I don't think it can be broken in my life. And that's our human thinking. I, I really don't think we can break this, this cycle of shame, this, this story that keeps ringing in my ears. Jesus wants to come to you today and recalibrate that sound. He wants to take it from a sound of defeat to a sound of victory.
I honestly believe what happened in worship today, God was recalibrating some stuff. And that sound shattered, shattered walls that have been built up. It shattered some of those things that have, have tried to hang over our heads. God said, no, no, no. I'm setting captives free today. I'm bringing recovery of sight to blinded eyes. I'm setting at liberty them that are bruised. I'm proclaiming this is the year of the Lord's favor. Hallelujah. In my daily encounters this past week, I was reading and I felt the Lord just leap in my spirit. Jeremiah 23, 29. The Lord said, my message is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. My message is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. The NIV says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Daily encountering his word in his presence will burn up shame. It will destroy it like a hammer breaking a rock in pieces. This boulder of shame will be destroyed in Jesus' name. And then he took me to Luke 137. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, say that with me, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, no thing will be impossible with God. I don't care how big it is, how big of a boulder it is. God says, I'm going to take my word, I'm going to burn it up, and I'm going to break it into pieces like a hammer. Come on. You've used a hammer on a rock before. You know what it's like. It's going to break into pieces, so many pieces that you can't even pick them up anymore. Nothing will be impossible with God. And here I believe is the word. It's like a fire from the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Repeat it over and over in your spirit. There's therefore now, now, right now. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now. There's a fire burning. There's a fire. There's a fire burning. It's the word of the Lord. It's a fire burning. He's breaking that rock in pieces. He's just chiseling away at it. He's knocking, he's breaking all the, yeah, ah, ha, ha, ha. Construction guys don't let me use hammers very often, but when I get the chance, I like to break things. Demo day. The best. Break some stuff. And God wants to break off some stuff of your life today. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please.
Shame is designed to cripple and silence you, but Jesus is going to use your moments of shame to bring life change to someone else who desperately needs freedom. It's time to slay the giant of shame. Come on, lift your hands. Begin to praise him. Begin to praise God for the forgiveness and freedom you have in Christ. Begin to praise God for the forgiveness and freedom you have in Christ. Come on, praise him with your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've set me free, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, use your mouth today. Korabasanda. Ah, we bless you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. You've forgiven us. You've freed us. You set us on the right path. We've made some mistakes, Lord, but we've come to you in repentance. Lord, we've turned to you, and we found the fire of your word, the hammer of your word, is destroying every ounce of shame and guilt in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We have a voice of triumph. We have a voice of triumph. We have a voice of triumph. Triumph in Jesus' name. Not in our own power, but triumph in Jesus' name. Triumph in your mighty power. We're strong in you and in the power of your might. Hallelujah. Shame will not override God's purpose for my life. I will use what the enemy has shamed me with to cut off his head and bring freedom to others. I will use what the enemy has shamed me with to cut off his head and bring freedom to others. Come on, lift your hands to him this morning.